17 today, Luke chapter number 17, a familiar story to most of us who've read our Bibles for a while, but I feel like this is a message that kind of really goes with the season that we're in, Luke chapter number 17. And today we'll begin reading here in verse number 11, Luke chapter 17 and verse number 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Where Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Father, we come to you today thanking you for your goodness. Father, thanking you for your mercy. And God, uh, as we come upon this Thanksgiving season, God... We're reminded of of how good you've been to us all. And God, I pray today as we dive into your word today, I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. Speak to us today. Challenge us, I pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The words thanks and thanksgiving are found 101 times in the word of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, And verse number 18, we are commanded to give thanks in everything. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 20, we are commanded to give thanks for all things. In fact, the phrases give thanks or giving thanks or gave thanks are used 85 times in the Word of God. In God's Word, in fact, we find many different people giving thanks in many different circumstances throughout the Word of God. If you look, uh, actually, David in Psalm 34, David himself is is, is going through a tough time. He's being chased by Saul. He's made some bad decisions. But in Psalm 34, in the midst of all of that, David gave thanks. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is about to be thrown to the lion's den, but even when he's about to be thrown into that den of lions, Daniel himself gave thanks. In Jonah chapter 2, after Jonah has disobeyed God, he's, he's fled to Tarshish. He's refused to go to Nineveh. He's, he's on that boat. He's, the storm comes along. The manors throw him overboard. A well swallows him. But while in the well, you find Jonah giving thanks. In Job chapter 1, when Job has lost everything, Job has lost his family, Job has he's lost his children, he's, he's lost his servants, he's lost his possessions. But Job himself said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Job praised the Lord. Job himself gave thanks. 
Thanksgiving is a consistent theme throughout the Word of God. The book of Psalms consistently reminds us of the importance of giving thanks. The Bible has a lot to say about a thankful heart. But when you read God's Word, you find that one of the biggest spiritual red flags in the life of someone is an unthankful heart. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's not good. Covetous. That's not good. Boasters. We know that's not good. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. It's not good. But you know what comes next? Unthankful. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, there's a list of 19 sinful characteristics that you and I would all call wicked. But right in the middle of all of those sinful characteristics is being unthankful. Romans chapter 1 is one of the darkest chapters in the entire Bible. Because it shows us just how wicked someone can become once they remove God from their lives. But do you know where all of the immorality stems from when you look back in Romans chapter number 1? The Bible says this in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 21, because when they, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. One of the first steps to being a reprobate is unthankfulness. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, When the fire of gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is hopeless. In Luke chapter 17, the passage before us this morning, we have before us here a well-known story. In this story, Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem... But while traveling to Jerusalem, he's passing through Galilee and Samaria. But while in this area, he passes through an unnamed village, and in this village live ten men who were suffering about as much as any man can suffer. In this story, we see a small picture of our society. In this story, we see a small picture of our churches. This is a story of great blessings from heaven. It is a story of the mercy of God. But it is also a story of an ungrateful response from man. But even though in this story, the majority in this story are ungrateful, the majority are unthankful, there is one who gives thanks. There is one who praises the Lord. There is one who gives gratitude. This morning, as we look at this story in Luke chapter 17, I want to preach on this simple thought. Let me be the one. Let me be the one. Our first point this morning is this. We see an awful condition. An awful condition. Notice, it, notice verses 11 and 12 of Luke chapter number 17. The Bible says, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him 
ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. Two things that we quickly see about these ten men. We see there there were lepers. They were lepers. Now in our day, we are not as familiar with leprosy. But in the Bible, leprosy was very prevalent. It was so prevalent, in fact, that in Luke chapter number, I mean, Leviticus chapter number 13, God uses an entire chapter to teach the Israelites how to deal with this disease called leprosy. Fifty-nine verses are dealt with that teaches them what to do when someone gets leprosy. You and I are not as familiar with that. But in our day, when that disease does pop up, it's called Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease is the same as leprosy in Bible times. But during Bible times, leprosy was the most feared disease that existed. And it was a very highly contagious disease. There were several ways to contract leprosy in that day. There were different forms of leprosy. And some, thankfully, that no longer exist. One form of leprosy in that day was airborne. And it was very highly contagious. Most of the other forms of leprosy were received through contact. But if it was found that during this time that you had leprosy, you had to move out of your home, you had to move away from your family, and you had to be isolated. Children during that time were taught two things. There's two things you never do. You never touch a dead body, and you never touch or go around a leper. They were taught that from a young age. And with the Pharisees in that day, it made it a little bit more tough because the Pharisees were harsh. The Pharisees were arrogant. The Pharisees were obnoxious, just like they are today in 2022. Amen? Same way. But it is said that during that time, a well-known rabbi would throw rocks at lepers every time that he saw one. If a leper even stuck his head inside of a house, that house was pronounced unclean. It was illegal to even greet a leper. You could not say hey to a leper. You could not wave at a leper. You were supposed to stay as far away and not even acknowledge that a leper existed. Don't wave at him. It is said that to look on someone with leprosy in that day was a disturbing sight. People with leprosy literally had fingers and toes and different limbs that were rotting off. But the thing to understand is that the disease is not what caused, it's not really what caused that rotting. Leprosy was almost a form of anesthetic. It was a numbing disease where it would numb their limbs. And so if someone uh, had that, num- that leprosy, their fingers were numb. So if they were to reach down to pick up something in the fire, their, their fingers would be burned while reaching down that fire. And they wouldn't even know it because they could not feel the heat from the fire. It was also said many times that lepers would, they, they, they would sleep. And while they were sleeping, rats would come in and, and chew on their fingers or, or chew on certain parts of their bodies. But because they were so numb, they could not feel the rat. They could not feel the pain. And so the disease itself would not cause the issues, but the infection that came from the wounds as a result of the numbness is what would cause the infection in these lepers. Many times it was said that if they were to put a hot rag up to close to their eye, the, the rag, if it was too hot, would touch their eye. They, they couldn't even feel the heat. And it would cause permanent blindness. It was a very, very disturbing sight to see a leper in that day. A very difficult situation. But here's what we must understand. Though you and I 
do not really deal with this disease called leprosy. Leprosy is a picture of a disease that we are all born with. And that disease is sin. Just like leprosy. Sin starts inward and then it works its way outward. Just like leprosy, sin has no natural cure. Just like leprosy, sin separates us from that which is good. These men, if they were married and had kids, could not be around their children. Every relationship that they had ended the moment they were diagnosed with leprosy. But let me ask you this. How many marriages have been destroyed because of sin? How many friendships have been destroyed because of sin? How many relationships have been destroyed because of sin? How many careers have been ruined because of sin? Something else to notice about these men is that they were together. Now that's interesting because we know of at least one who was a Samaritan. So Samaritans and Jews, they didn't jihad. Y'all know what that means. They didn't really get along. They despised one another. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were half-Jew and they were half-Gentile. So the Jews despised the Samaritans. But right here, you have at least one Samaritan. And it's obvious there's Jews because Jesus refers to that Samaritan as a stranger. But even though they're Jews and even though they're Samaritans, they're lepers. And so as a result, they're together. Why? That's the only friends they had. That's the only people they could be around. That's the only people they felt comfortable around. And by the way, that's the way it is with sinners in our day. Sinners only feel comfortable around other sinners. I grew up in church. As long as I can remember, looking back on my life, I, I, I remember church, going to Sunday school, singing in the youth choir. Every once in a while, I sat up and testify. I was super spiritual. I was a fake. I was a fake. I was a hypocrite. Went to church, went to church 19 years. But can I tell you this? The whole time I was going to church, there every single Sunday, I never felt comfortable in church. Because I could never really be myself in church. Because you know why? Myself was a wicked rascal. Now, all, all the parents, say, oh, they tell my mom and daddy, he's such a good Christian boy, and you don't know what you're talking about. I was not a good Christian boy. I was sneaky. But I can remember... I got my driver's license. I mean, I remember you, you looked forward to getting your driver's license. It was a big deal because you thought there's freedom. But then you find out that mom and daddy's got chores that you never thought existed when you get your driver's license. All of a sudden, you thought it's just, it's just freedom, it's just fun, and then they tell you at 9.30 at night to go get some milk from the gas station. I can remember we, we were growing up in Union. We were small-town boy. We were very simple, very structured. But I remember every Sunday was the same pattern. Every Sunday. We would, we would have church. We'd get out. We'd go to Gene's Fine Food, get a bucket of fried chicken. Amen on a Sunday morning. Amen. Get a bucket of fried chicken. Get, get, a, get a crate of French fries and go home. And they would, we'd have some banana pudding, some macaroni and cheese. It, it was good stuff. Same pattern every day. But I had to go get it. My job was after church to go get the chicken. That was my job. But I can remember... Sitting in that car. Mama didn't know this. My sisters knew it because they ride with me some. And I said, shh, don't tell mama. And I, I, would, I would be in there and I'd turn on my rap music. I ain't talking about no Christian rap. 
I put on my rap music, and I, I lived about five minutes from the church. And so as I go to the church, the first four minutes was ba-boom, ba-boom, boom, 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 boom. And, it's, and I'm, I'm coming all the way down the road, and ba-boom, boom, boom. And then I get a, I get a mile from the church, and I turn it off. Because I know if I pull in that parking lot and my pastor sees that, he's going to preach on it. So I ain't doing that. And so then I get in there, and I'm all, all Christian, all great, putting the fake smile on, praise Jesus, you know, all, all that stuff. Singing Amazing Grace, don't even know what Amazing Grace is. And, and all the time I'm faking it, I feel uncomfortable because as soon as I get back, as soon as I get back in the car and drive back home, ba-boom, boom, boom, ba-boom, boom, boom. There's, that's me. That's who I am. But you know what happened? At 19 years old, I got saved and the script flipped. All of a sudden, I didn't like the same music I used to like before. All of a sudden, you know what happened? I started to like church. I started to like being around God's people. I started to like the Word of God. I started to like preaching. When I got saved, my life changed. That's what happened in your life too. When you get saved, your life changes. That's the way, that's the way it is. You, now, you don't become perfect. You, you still mess up. You still miss the mark. But listen, listen. Not only when you get saved, your relationship with God changes, but also your relationship with sin changes. If your relationship with sin changes, something doesn't change. Something's wrong. You view sin differently. The Bible tells us this in Romans chapter six and verses one and two. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, how shall we that are born again, how shall we that are saved live any longer therein? It changes when you get saved. We see an awful condition. Number two, we see an available Christ. An available Christ. Notice verse number 13 of our passage. And they, speaking of these lepers, lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now before Jesus showed up, they were lepers. No cure, no hope, no future. It's it's possible that their families had even forgot about them. Their friends may have given up hope because there was nothing that they could do. They thought that this is the way they were going to be for the rest of their lives until they died. But all of a sudden, these lepers see Jesus. Now, here's what you must understand. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7, you have the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, on that mount, on that hill there, he's, he's in Galilee, the same region he's in right here. But if you go to Matthew chapter 8, right after he comes off the mount there, he's greeted by a leper and Jesus heals that leper. So it's possible that these lepers have heard of Jesus healing that other leper from before. So they knew, they knew this, that if there was any hope of being saved, now was the time to be saved. Now was the time to be made whole. Now was the time to be cured. But here's what you must understand also. When you read your Bible and you study the life of Jesus, this is quite possibly the last time that he ever comes to this region before he's crucified. So these these lepers, they sense urgency to seek out to Jesus because they knew they may never have another chance to to be healed, to be made whole. 
may I say, there are many that are sitting on church pews today who do not have that same urgency. They do not seek to be saved. They're, they're waiting, they're hoping that they make, there could be another day that they could be saved. It's a sad thing. Sadly, many think that they can be saved when they're older. And that's a possibility. But may I say this? Though he is the door to heaven, though he is the way, the truth, and the life, the door is not a door that you can walk through at any time. Jesus said this in John chapter 6 and verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. John chapter 12, verse 32, the Bible says this, And I, Jesus speaking of himself, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw, pull, draw all men unto me. That word draw, as you know, it means to pull. There's a pulling there. So when God begins to deal with your heart, and when God begins to convict you, he draws you toward himself. And sadly, many think that if they reject this drawing, that they can, they'll just get saved later on. Many teenagers think this, like, I, like me. I'll, live, I'll sow my wild oats. I'll live in sin. And then I'll get saved when I become an adult. Many adults think this. I'm going to make my money. I'm going to spend my money. I'm going to enjoy the pleasures of sin. And then when I get old and I can't do anything anymore, then I'm going to get saved. But understand this. There's no guarantee you'll never have another opportunity. There's no guarantee. Isaiah 55, 6 says this. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Jesus offers salvation to whosoever, wheresoever, but not whensoever. Aaron Burr was the third vice president in U.S. history. He was Thomas Jefferson's Vice President. He was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest preachers in American history. His cousin, a man by the name of Timothy Dwight, was, a, was used greatly by the Lord in, this, in the Second Great Awakening. His family, he came from a godly family, a goodly heritage, as we would say. But here's what we find. In the, in the, in the 1900s, one guy went and did some research on the family of Jonathan Edwards. And it was such a godly family, he found out that Jonathan Edwards' family had over 100 people in his family that became overseas missionaries. A godly family. But just because Aaron Burr came from a godly family did not mean that he was a godly man. God has no grandchildren. Just because your mama's a Christian, just because your daddy's a Christian, don't mean you're a Christian. Amen and amen on a Sunday morning at Bible Church. Aaron Burr was not a godly man. The story is told that his granddaughter was saved in a revival service. And she went to see Aaron Burr. She went to see her grandfather and said to him, Grandpa, I wish you were a Christian. Burr told his granddaughter, When I was a young man, I went to an evangelistic meeting. He said, I felt my need of God's mercy and forgiveness and knew that I should give my heart to Christ. But I walked out without doing it. He said this, I stood under the stars, and I looked out toward heaven and said, God, 
if you don't bother me anymore, I'll never bother you again. He said, honey, God has kept his part of that bargain. He's never bothered me again, and now it's too late for me to bother him. One day, God will convict for the last time. One day, God will pull, God will draw for the last time. And I'll say this, if you're lost this morning, don't wait. If he's speaking to your heart, don't wait. These ten lepers took advantage of the presence of Jesus. And they cried out to him. We see an awful condition. We see an available Christ. Number three, we see an absolute cure. Notice verse 14. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, this is different from many of his other healings. Many times when Jesus would heal, he would speak. And just like that, they were healed. Not here. He tells them to go to the priest. Now, as we know, this is Levitical law. This was taught in Leviticus chapter 13. The only way that these lepers could return to society, the only way that they could ever be reunited with their families was for the priest to pronounce them clean. But notice this. When he tells them this in this verse, they're not clean. He doesn't say, okay, you're healed, now go see the priest. He says, go see the priest and let him pronounce you clean. In other words, and it says, it says the pastor says, As they went, they were cleansed. So they stepped out. Before they stepped, they 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 weren't cleansed. They weren't healed. But when they began to step, they began to be healed. It was a miracle. Now, to to the common Jew of that day, it would have made no sense. Why am I going to the priest? I'm not clean. Look at my finger. Look at my eyes. Obviously, I still have leprosy. I'm not whole. Why would I go to a priest for him to look at me and say, what are you doing here? So it didn't really make sense. But may I say this, when you really think about biblical salvation and you think about who God is and you think about who we are, sometimes it doesn't make really a whole lot of sense either. You think about that. How can someone like me, who has failed God so many times, who even when I've tried my best, continually missed the mark of His holiness... I'm afraid some of us have been in church so long we've forgotten about what forgiveness and mercy really is. We've heard the word grace. We've heard the word mercy. We've heard the word forgiveness. We've heard the word salvation and we've become numb to it. You've forgotten how wicked you really are. You've forgotten how sinful you really are and you've forgotten just how good God is. God's been good to us. When I look at me and I look at him, it doesn't, why would he love me? Why would he love you? But he does anyway. Why? Is it because I'm good? It's because God's good. And because God is love. And because God is merciful. We serve a good God. God's been good to my life. God God didn't just save me. You know what he did? He called me to preach. Why? I have no idea. I remember remember when God, I ran from it for a year. I didn't want to preach. I didn't like talking in front of people. In the most miserable year of my life. I didn't want to do it. But God saved me. Called me to preach. 
let me marry the greatest woman on planet Earth. God's, God's given me great kids. God's allowed me to, to be a part of the staff on this church. God's been good to me. So good to me. And I look back. I look back when I got saved. And then, you know, right then, you don't know everything was happening when you first get saved. You don't understand all that. But you look back when you first got saved. I look back, be 20 years in March. 20 years. I'm getting old. 20 years. And I look back and I see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And it's not because of me. Because you know what I also look back in the last 20 years? Failure after failure after failure after failure. But where I see failure, I see grace. Some of you may be sitting here today saying, Brother Lee, I don't see how God could ever do that with me. I'm far too wicked. I'm far too sinful. You don't understand what I've done. God could never, God could never make anything out of my life. I love what Romans 5.20 says. One of the greatest statements in the entire Bible. It says this, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. If you were to get that verse out and you were looking at your strongest concordance, there's two aboundeds in there. Where sin abounded and where grace did much more abound, those are two different Greek words. Where sin abounded, the word means abounded, it means it kind of just, it kind of overfilled the cup. It, 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 it passed the limits. It went, beyond its, it went beyond the boundaries. But where it says, and grace did much more abound, it means a flood. Think about that. Where our sins, where we stepped over God's mark, where we stepped over God's limits, where we stepped over God's boundaries, all of a sudden we messed up and the grace of God just said, Voom. it covered it all up. You couldn't even see where I missed the mark anymore. You couldn't even, listen, the flood come in and it took over it, took it, all, took over it all. Where sin, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So though our sins are many, his mercy, his grace is far more. We see an awful condition. We see an available Christ. We see an absolute cure. Number four, we see an appreciative cry. An appreciative cry. Notice verses 15 through 18 of our passage. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Something to understand about the voice of a leper. The voice of a leper was raspy. They couldn't talk normally. They would talk this way. So all of a sudden, one of the ways this guy knows he's healed is he shows up and he says, Master! Savior, Jesus. Whoa, what's going on there? That's loud. I can, I, can, I can praise God now. I can speak loudly now. So you know that as he's praising God, he's healed because his voice is now loud. He has volume to his voice. But notice what it goes on to say in verse 16. And fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. He's a stranger. He's, a, he's the half-breed. The Samaritans, they, they, they didn't believe like the Jews. But it's not the Jews here that are worshiping God. It's the stranger. It's the alien. It's the outcast. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? 
But where are the nine? They're not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. If you look back to the beginning of our story, you see that there were ten lepers that met Jesus as he came to this village. There were ten lepers that lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus told ten lepers to go to the priests. And there were ten lepers that were cleansed as they made their way toward the priest. But in our passage, we only read of one who came back to Jesus. We only read of one who gave glory to God. We only read of one who said thank you. Think about that. Now, all of them prayed. All of them prayed to God. You know what we do oftentimes? We put a heavy emphasis on prayer, and we should. But you know what our prayers oftentimes consist of? God, I have a need. God, I need you to help me. God, I have a loved one who's sick. God, I don't have enough money to pay these bills. God, give me. God, help me. God, intervene. God. But you know what we rarely do? We rarely praise. Do we ever take time? Do we ever take, set, set, our, set time apart in our daily schedule to praise the Lord? There were ten that prayed, but there was only one that praised. Do you ever thank Him for what He's done for you? God has been so good to us. So good to us. Far better than we ever deserved. And we say this oftentimes. We say, listen, and I think I say it every year. Thanksgiving for the Christian is not a holiday. It should be a lifestyle. We should be consistently giving thanks for what he's done. But you know what we do? And I'm going to say we. We are so good at griping. We are so good at complaining. We are so good at whining that we need to call the ambulance and get some Crylenol. Can I get a witness? Amen. That's what we need. We whine. We complain. And listen, if we go to McDonald's and somebody puts onions on our McRib, we whine. Because you're not supposed to have onions on your McRib. Amen. Okay, we'll move along. Okay. We whine. We complain. But listen, a thankful, you cannot have a heart that's griping and being thankful at the same time. You can't have it. You're either griping, you're either whining, or you're giving thanks. It's one of the two. And I, listen, how many times have I whined? I'm going to confess to you. I preached this in 830, went to Sunday school, somebody called me out. <laughs> Amen. Called me out. Said, see, I appreciate that. I was complaining about my shovel breaking. And then we got it. Amen. Somebody called me out. I appreciate that. Sometimes you need to be called out. But how often do we whine and complain, but we never give him thanks? We shouldn't be like the majority here. By the way, majority of churches, the majority of people sitting in, we're not, we're not thanking him. And I say we, we're complaining, we're whining. But God's been good to us. We shouldn't do that. We see in our passage, number five, and this is the last point. You're probably wondering how many you got. This is the last one. We see an affirmative command. An affirmative command. Notice verse 19. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, 
Thy faith hath made thee whole. Why did Jesus tell him to go his way? Because though he was worshiping Jesus, though he was at his feet, though he was giving him thanksgiving, it was time to go out into the world and show the world what God had done for him. God loves our praise. God commands our worship and thanksgiving. But God wants you to do more than just raise your hand in church. And we should. God wants us to go out into the world and not just thank Him with our lives, or not just thank Him with our lips, but thank Him with our lives. As you go to Thanksgiving dinner, and Thanksgiving dinner many times can be very heated, depending on who's in your family. It can be very awkward. Some of y'all have got faces popping in your mind right now. But as you sit down at Thanksgiving dinner, as God's children, as God's people, let's be people of thanksgiving. Let's give him praise. Let's not complain about everything this year. Let's praise. Listen, no matter what has happened to you, if you're living in a teepee on the side of 385, God's been good to you if you're saved. God's been good to you. If you're saved, he's given you something that no one can ever take from you. Why don't you give him praise for that? Heard the story Martin Luther. Martin Luther tells the story of 13 years before he was saved. There was a porter in his college who had a big influence on his life. Martin Luther said that this guy had nothing. He only had one coat to wear. And the day I met him, he said this. He said he had only drank a cup of water the entire day. He had nothing to eat. He said, but every time I was around him, he was praising God and giving thanks. Martin Luther said, how can you do this? You have nothing, but yet you constantly praise God and give him thanks. He said, because God's been so good to me. God has saved me. And if God never does anything else for me, he's already given me far more than I ever deserved. That's my story. That's your story. So this Thanksgiving, let's not just let it just be a holiday. Don't don't just stop on Friday. Do it the rest of the year and pick it up in 2023. Let's be people who give thanks. Let's Listen, if everybody else goes, if everybody, by the way, all of us are blessed. But if everybody else receives and goes off, let me be the one. Let you be the one who comes back and says, Lord, I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you for what you've done in my life.